0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is
1: Believe. Welcome, everyone, from Bristol Studio. This is Ninety Four and More. I'm Jake Fenster. And I'm Professor David Hollander. In this series, we explore how basketball can challenge us to rethink systems and ideologies in service of reimagining our world in new and unexpected ways. Throughout this season, we will be speaking with a variety of guests, from authors to artists, academics to athletes, and many more. All united in a shared love and reverence for basketball, we will bring into focus the game's impact on the greater culture at large. Let's jump in. Our guest today grew up in India, where he spent most of his time preparing to be the next Michael Jordan. He is a man of many nicknames, such as Ground Jordan, Worldwide Voss, and a few others, which I'll have to ask him to uh, share with you guys. He is the self-proclaimed biggest basketball fan in the world. His earliest memory of the game was when he was four years old, watching Michael Jordan go up against Magic Johnson in the 1991 NBA Finals. And he knew something was different about this sport. His love for the game propelled him forward, and he was determined to never stop playing. He is an entrepreneur, a professional pickup basketball player, the founder of Crossover, and one of the partners at Courtside Ventures. Vasu Kulkarni, welcome to the show.
2: Great to be here. Thanks for having
1: me. Vasu, we've
0: got a lot to talk to you about, and um, uh, we've done a bit of research. So I wanted to confirm one. Urban legend, uh, which is that President Obama owes you a game of horse.
2: What's that about? You got you guys dig deep. I'm impressed.
1: <laughs> we have some yeah. inside sources.
2: Yeah, you know it's uh, it's a great story because it, it it's one of the the life lessons that I I always live by, which is you always respond to every cold email that you get. Um, And this was a cold email that we had gotten at our fund, probably this was right before the pandemic. So probably sometime in in late 2018, early 2019, we get an email from a guy who says that he works with President Obama, he's been his fundraiser for his entire political career. And, you know, he just wants to, to talk about other things that he might want to do in the future. And one of those things was sports. He knew that we're sports guys, we run a sports fund. And he's like. Can I pick your brain? A lot of people would have just hit delete on that email, going, "This is some some whack job." There's no <laughs> way Obama's guy's reaching out to us. But anyway, my partners and I, we we respond to every email, so we respond back to him and said, "Sure, you know, if you're ever in New York City, look us up, and uh, we're happy to happy to chat with you." So lo and behold, a couple months later, guy hits us up, says, "Hey, I'm in New York, can I come by the office?" We're like, "Shit, this guy's real. Come by the office." So he shows up, super nice guy. We, you know, we talk about the the the, the good years, um, and then you know, towards the end of the conversation, you know, I'm I'm obviously trying to to slip it in here. Like I I got to meet the big guy, but it's you know you you, you got to be a little tactful on on how you bring it up. And so I say to the guy, I say, listen, uh, Obama's like my second favorite person in the world, and I've already met you know number one and number three. Uh, you know, what what do you think? And he goes number two, who's number one? I go, well, you know, number one used to be Mike. Mike's kind of an asshole. He's number three (laughs) and I've already met him. Steph Curry's number one. And I know Steph personally. So I was like, the only guy left on my list is is President Obama. And he goes, well, listen, I can make that happen anytime. No problem. So I'm sitting here going, all right, this guy's this guy's full of shit. There's no way it's actually going to happen. To his credit, literally a month later, he emails us and he goes, hey, guys, uh, the president's giving a talk in Atlanta. If you guys can make your way to Atlanta next week, I'll put you in a room with the president. Holy crap! So I, I literally <laughs> am not sleeping for a week leading up to this. Right, I'm freaking out. Um, we get to Atlanta. We 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 spend the night. The next morning, we had have, we have to be at the convention center like seven in the morning to to meet with the president. So you know, I'm I'm and I you know I'm in a hoodie twenty four by seven. I spent a whole week picking out my wardrobe for this event. It's like, what suit am I wearing? What shirt am I wearing? What watch am I wearing? Like everything. And so so we get to the convention center. They there's like a whole process of like, you know, there's a secret service everywhere, all sorts of stuff. They put us downstairs in the basement of the of the Atlanta Convention Center. And there's a a long line. It's got to be. There's got to be 100 people in this line. I'm sure 98 of them are donors and my partner and I are the two assholes at the back of the (laughs) line, you know, coming in here for free. So so the guy had told us, he's like, listen, make sure you stay at the back of the line so that you get the most amount of time with the president, because otherwise it's just a you know, it's a line. You come, you shake his hand, you keep it moving. So we wait at the at the back of the line. We get to the front and they're like two at a time. Everybody's got to go two at a time because we don't have time for individual pictures. So we get to the front. And Obama's probably about 20 feet away from us at this moment. And I just push my partner forward. I'm like, I'm not taking a picture with you, dude. We're we're, we're taking singles here. So he he like he like stutters up to the president, you know, he he shakes his hand and uh and, and he says, Mr. President, great to meet you. They take a picture, he moves on. Now it's my turn. Now the big question leading up to all this, if you guys have watched the Key and Peel skit about mm-hmm. about President Obama, it's like, you know, are you going in for the bro hug or are you going in <laughs> For the white guy handshake. Which one are you going to do here, right? And so so I'm like, well, shit. I'm like, you know what? He doesn't really know me. Let me go in for the handshake first. And then after the fact, you if we adjust. get close enough, maybe, yeah. maybe we go in for the hug. So I go in. I shake his hand. and say, Mr. President, great to meet you. We take our picture. And he's expecting me to just walk away. And instead, I look at him and I go, you still hooping? And and he's just suddenly he like, he's he's taken a, a back a little bit. And he goes, Oh, you know, not no not not so much anymore. And I go, Yeah, you know, I just I just got out of knee surgery myself a couple of weeks ago. And he goes, Man, see, this is why I don't play anymore. He's like, I can't be injured. He's like, I gotta, I gotta stay healthy. And so we just get into this conversation about hoops. And then and then my partner like walks around and he joins us. And so the three of us are standing in like a little bit of a triangle at this situation. And and I say to him as we're closing, you know, the whole the whole episode was like a minute, but it it felt like a lifetime to me. I go, Mr. President, if you're ever in New York, I know you don't want to you don't want to play pickup. But if you want to get some shots up, we'll shut down our court and we'll play. You know, we'll, we'll we'll just get some shots up. And he looks at me, he goes, well, you know, I'll kick your ass at horse, right? <laughs> I'm, going, I'm like, man, this is the greatest fucking moment of my life. And, and so incredible. And, and so now I'm like, you know what? Now's my moment to go in for the hug. Right. But as I'm right. about to go in, my idiot partner reaches over and he grabs the president's elbow and he goes great to meet you sir and and the president's like somebody's touching me and, don't touch i'm I'm like bro we two brown dudes here like Secret Service about to sniper our ass what are you doing why are you touching the president right now and so and so he killed the whole vibe i ended up having to just give him one more regular handshake and and, and we walked off uh and, and so that's you oh, know man. that that's a story uh, that that hopefully one day i will still get to to play a game of pickup with, or, or at least a game of horse with the guy.
0: Maybe it'll be on the home court of the Phoenix Suns.
2: <laughs> yeah, you've been hearing about I'm, that. I'm, 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 I'm a little short on cash for that one, but I'm working <laughs> towards it. For him, I, I
0: last oh, I for read, him. Yeah, they. Uh, Bill Simmons said yesterday that Obama may be part of an ownership group. No shit. No shit. I mean, okay. there's the
1: chance there. Here it is. Time to God get that bro hug. I know. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I see it like,
0: like you're a, you're a valuation person. So, so Jay-Z fronting the Nets, Drake fronting the Raptors, Obama fronting the Suns. I mean,
2: the bar is extremely low for who he's, he's coming in after. So, uh, I, I feel like he's going to be able to rep that team pretty well. <laughs> and also my, my, my boy, Larry Fitzgerald is a, is a is a minority owner there and and if he sticks around and, and Sarver just ends up selling majority to a group, but guys like Larry stay in, then then I'm one hundred percent hooked up. So that's gonna happen.
1: Look at that. We're gonna make it happen. Um that's an amazing story. I honestly just hearing you talk about it really could feel that pain of that moment when you were just waiting for that final like dap up and you're going to leave like that hurt me to hear. But it's so incredible just to hear about that moment with the president. And like you said, he was so like seemed relaxed the way you told the story. As soon as someone brought up hoops, his whole demeanor energy shifted, which I just think is such an incredible. It had to have been such an incredible moment to see that, especially when you're surrounded by Secret Service and all of these people that are looking at him as the president of the United States. And then you're just looking at him as like someone who you could play pickup with. I think that's totally. that's just the power of the game.
2: No, no doubt. I think you know, I've I've always said sports is the great equalizer, and there could be there could not be more disparity between a clown like me <laughs> and the president of the United States. And yet, when we're talking hoops, we're just peers. Like mm-hmm. yeah. and if, if we ever played ball together, we would just be two guys on a basketball court. And to me, that's the beauty of all sports. And especially basketball.
1: So I want to take it back a little bit. For you growing up in India in the 90s, what role did basketball play in your life and also in the country at that time?
2: Well, for, for me, it was um, I, w- I was kind of an outcast always. I, I was a kid who was, who was born in the U.S., but my parents moved me back to India when I was young and they wanted me to be raised there. And so I was the weird Indian kid with the American accent. When I went back to India, and then while I was in, in America, I was just a weird Indian kid, right? So nowhere did I ever fit in. I didn't fit in here, and I didn't fit in there. But the the one thing that I always had was was the game of basketball. Because you step you step foot on basketball court, and you're the best player out there. It doesn't matter what your accent is. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter where you came from. Everyone's like, "Oh shit, that kid can hoop." And so for me, I think when I moved back, the I've never really thought about it in this way, but um, it, it was culture shock, right? There, we didn't have Pizza Hut in India when I when I went back in in ninety in ninety five when I moved back. And I'm a I'm a kid who grew up eating cheese pizza every day of my life. I'm a vegetarian who hates vegetables. And so <laughs> you take me from from Southern California and you throw me into this new country where we don't have running electricity twenty four by seven. We don't have clean water every day. And I don't, I, I kind of spoke the language, but I didn't speak the language. And I talk funny. Like all of those things. I was in complete culture shock. I hated my parents for having done this to me. I missed my friends back in the US. I missed my food. I missed everything. And the only thing that I still had, I feel like, was the game of basketball. And so the first thing I did when I, I was I was in the fourth grade, and the first thing I did when I got to India was I went to a basketball court. And I mean, and the basketball courts at that time, they were dirt like there was no cement there was no asphalt there was nothing like we played on dirt courts with a wooden backboard and a, a piece of iron that had been turned into a rim it wasn't even like a full circle it was almost a full circle and at the back you may not even have a full circle it was just two pieces of an iron rod stuck into that backboard but that's that's how i grew up playing that's how i learned to play and then my my dad would keep coming back and forth for for work to the us and we would have our friends and family here in the U S record VHS tapes of all the bulls games for me. And so, you know, once or twice a year, he'd come back with a suitcase full of VHS tapes and I'd be watching these Jordan games that were six months old, but that, I mean, there was no internet. There was nothing. We used to get two basketball games a week on TV in India at five 30 in the morning on Friday morning and Saturday morning. Not only would we need to have electricity to be able to watch it, the cable guy needed to have electricity. In India, the cable guy is the dude that lives like six blocks down from you. And he's literally stringing a line from his from his <laughs> satellite dish all the way to your house and plugging it into your TV. So if either of us lost electricity during the course of that game, you didn't know what happened at the end of it. And then, you know, I still remember the like, game would start at 5.30. So it ends around 8 a.m. The school bus would literally be pulling up to pick me up at like 7.56 and I'd be trying to catch the last minute of the fourth quarter and then run out to the bus stop to get on this damn bus to get to school, because if I missed that, then there was no way to get to school. And, and, and so in many ways, you know, basketball for me was a refuge. It was it was a way to fit in with in, in a culture that I I didn't really identify with. Even even to this day, my mother will will tell people she's like, my son is Indian only in blood, like there's nothing else Indian about this guy. And, and if he could choose his family, he probably wouldn't have chosen us because we, we we have nothing in common with him. Um, and and so it, it, for me, that's what it was. But also, just in general, it was a way for Indians to identify, I think, with Western culture. And there was more of that happening, right? My third year in India, Pizza Hut came. Then we had KFC, McDonald's. like all these American Western brands were starting to come. And the NBA for us was a way to identify with the West and to understand what was happening on the other side of the world. And so a lot of the kids in my school, even though they had never been to the U.S. before, uh, I feel like more and more as the years went on, like they looked to the NBA as it was entertainment, but it was also popular culture. And it was how do you dress? It was hip hop. It was all of that stuff. And today, I mean, you can get NBA League Pass in India. You probably, I think they have 40 games on TV a week. Like, it's a very different world than what I grew up in. But back then, man, you had to struggle just to be able to watch two games a week. But I want to ask,
1: before, when you were living in the States, before you moved to India, what was it about basketball when you first really fell in love with it? Why basketball and not another sport? You know, why did it stick when you went to India? That was the thing that you you know, you, you stay true to yourself, you found that refuge and, and you were able to, you know, keep that connection alive. How come it wasn't a different sport?
2: Funny enough, I actually never played basketball in the U S growing up. I played three seasons of soccer. Um, and so soccer was actually my sport of choice. Basketball was just something I watched on TV and, and, and I certainly loved it. And I loved Michael and the bulls and I was obsessed with them but it was actually soccer that I played. And I think when I went to India, what, what kind of changed was suddenly I was a big guy, right? And, and again, I'm, I'm five foot 11 now. I was probably four foot whatever. But even at that time for my class, I was one of the taller kids. And so it, it just comes down a lot of times, I think, to circumstance and selection and, uh, and selection bias in that you know, in the US, if you're a, if you're six foot five, whether you like to play basketball or not, someone's going to be like, yo, dude, you should probably get on basketball court. And, and there's probably kids that love hoops that are short that never get a chance. In India, I think I was just a tall kid. I knew the sport because I grew up in the US and I loved it. And so I just gravitated towards it. And it turned out because there was very little competition. I was one of the best players on the court at any given time versus soccer is obviously much bigger in India. And, and so I, I kind of feel like that was part of why I ended up playing as much as I did was I was just good at it compared to everybody else. But also there's just there's just been something about the game of basketball that I, I just I can't put my finger on it. It's hard to ask a five year old kid why he loves something as much as he does. You know, it just it just happened.
0: I definitely do want you to put your finger on it because I think there is something about the doing of it that it sounds like you can't, or couldn't, even after your time in India, you couldn't stop. And you were so dead set on it that you, even when you went to University of Pennsylvania, you had to play even your senior year just playing JV. So it wasn't even about the being the best. What happens to you when you get on that court?
2: Well what happens is everything else melts away right in when when you're in those 94 feet nothing else matters it doesn't matter what's going on at work doesn't matter what's going on in your personal life it's 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 all good and and for those 2 hours um <clears throat> you just focus on one thing and that's that's getting buckets um and so to me it's meditation in many ways that's what it is it's it's meditation coupled with with physical fitness and getting in shape all all good things, um, and clearing your mind while still doing something that gives you immense pleasure and and joy
0: what part of the pleasure is yours, and what part of the pleasure is being with others?
2: you know you don't you don't think about these things until you're older, like when you're a kid all day long, you're with your friends, you're with your friends in school, you're, you're with your friends after school, you're with your friends on the basketball court, you go out to movies, you go out bowling, like, you don't worry about these things. And you're always making new friends because there's, there's another batch that comes in after. <clears throat> when you get to be, you know, in your late 20s, early 30s, and mid 30s. Now, like I am, I always say, where are you going to make new friends? You know, where where does your social life come from? Both, you know you usually end up I'm I'm not married but I've always for the most part been in some kind of a long-term relationship with someone and and so you you stop really making new friends and for me basketball I think has been one of the only social outlets that I have I'm not the most extroverted person like if you put me in a room with 50 people I don't know I'm going to be the guy in the corner on my phone watching you know NBA League Pass streaming in the middle of a party uh, and but but now the basketball court is a place where you you have to interact with at least nine other people at any given time. And then there's 30 guys waiting, you know, on the sidelines that, that you're gonna talk shit with and you're gonna talk about life and you're gonna talk about the game and whatnot. And so I, I think in a major way, basketball outside of the physical fitness and outside of the meditation has become a social outlet.
0: And and, and just one, one step further on it even the communication you're having with other people in basketball experience that's not verbal tell me about that tell me about just the basic sense of being with others connection
2: i mean it's it's the cool part is it's a universal language right it you can you can be deaf and dumb and play the game of basketball. And when you point to someone, when they make a great pass to you, they know exactly what you're saying to them. And and and, you know, like there's all these universal symbols that we have as hoopers that on any court anywhere, it's, it's all the same. I was just in Croatia um, at the, at this famous basketball court in Dubrovnik that everyone's seen the picture of. It's on the top of a castle overlooking the Adriatic Sea. It's, it's widely considered the most beautiful court in the world. And so I went there the first night that we were in Dubrovnik, and there was nobody had a basketball there. I was hoping somebody there, you know, that there would be just be a basketball lying around. There was no basketball. So the next day, I go to a sporting goods store, I buy a basketball, and I go back to the court at about 4 p.m. in the afternoon. And I'm the only guy who has a ball. There's all these tourists that have come to take pictures. I'm the only guy who has a basketball. And so I start shooting around. And what happens? Every single person who was there came over. They're like, can I get a shot up? Of course, man. And these were people from all around the world. They're a group of Argentinians wearing a, a Compazzo jersey of all of, of all jerseys, right? And we just start, we start talking about basketball. The guy tells me, you know, in broken English that he was at, he, he came to New York a few years ago. He went to Rucker Park and we get into a three-point shooting contest in the middle of Croatia, Americans and Argentinians. And I'm going we don't even, none of us speak the same language, but we all know what a three-point shooting contest is, and we had a three-point shooting contest. And, and, and that's the beauty of, of this game.
0: You know, and I'll, I'll just, you, you remind me of uh, uh, a friend of mine, Dan Clores, the filmmaker. Who really has, good friend of mine. <laughs> ah, <yeah. laughs> well, there you go. Dan says that. Dan says, you know, there, there's only a few common denominators in the whole world. You, you go anywhere in the world, there's only a few things you could talk about. Music, food, love, sex, and basketball. <laughs> I mean, is he wrong?
2: No, I mean, what Dan's doing with with the school. I'm I'm on the advisory board of of his new school, and so I, I spend a lot of time. Are you are you on there too? Yeah. Ah. Yeah, well, there we go. We didn't hey. even know that. <laughs> it's a long <laughs> table. Yeah. No. No doubt that that list of cheesecakes he sends out at Thanksgiving. Uh,
0: did you give him your address?
2: <laughs> he, he's got my address.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> so it's funny being the self-proclaimed biggest basketball fan in the world. It's a pretty bold statement in a world that's filled with <laughs> basketball fanatics. What does that mean? What does that mean to you? And and how did you arrive at this title? Is this you know something that has always been there with you, or when did you you know when did that point shift where you knew you were solidified the biggest basketball fan in the world?
2: I think I started to realize this because everything in life as you grow up is about compromise, about priorities, right? Most people prioritize their family and their loved ones over everything else that they had when they were younger. I skipped my own sister's wedding for the final four. (laughs) Ah, You know, about that time is when I start to go, maybe I've got a problem. And and, uh you know, may, maybe my priorities, my priorities in life are a little different than other people's. I live in Manhattan directly across the street from the 67th Street gym where we hoop. I refuse to move like every girl I date. It's like, dude, we got to move from here. We can't live here. We want to live. I'm like, listen, it's a deal breaker. Like I am not moving from an apartment that takes me 30 seconds to get to basketball every day. Like it's just not. It's not an option for me. I need I need that in my life. Um, you know, I watch 82 Warrior games every year and I I watch every single playoff game for every single team every single year. I watch all 63 tournament games every year. This will be my 11th year at the final four and, and national championship game. Like, I you know, There's no obviously no perfect definition of what the biggest basketball fan in the world means, and certainly there might be people who follow the NBA even more closely than I do. There might be people who follow college basketball even more closely than I do, but what I can tell you is that I don't believe that anyone loves the game of basketball more than I do. Um, I will literally do anything for the game of basketball.
0: You also uh, not only have consumed all of those uh, basketball games but we've learned that you also have recorded uh, <laughs> every pickup and men's league game that you participate in.
2: This is true. Uh, over the last eight years, I have filmed every single pickup game and every single men's league that I've played in. I come home, I watch said footage immediately after uh,
1: I then, or do you take some space immediately?
2: Immediate, well, so my routine now is, you know, pre-game. <laughs> I, I do about a a 20-minute hot water soak. That's how old I am. I gotta soak in a in a hot water tub just to get the muscles soft enough. Full body hyper ice massage, followed by foam rolling, stretching, warm-up shoot around. Then I play for two hours. Then I get done, I foam roll, I stretch. <laughs> Epsom salt soak, followed <laughs> by a Norma Tech full, you know, full leg compression. Yep. And while I'm in the compression system, I'm usually watching film and and breaking down, you know, what I did that day and getting highlights. And and that is why I fundamentally believe that at 36, I am playing the best ball of my life, even better than when I was at Penn and actually had had some athleticism.
0: Yeah. What, what's the analysis? Like, what's the where is your game grown?
2: More than anything, um, watching Steph Curry and, and loving Steph Curry as much as I do, you know, the audacity to shoot a basketball from 28 feet from 30 feet. Five years ago, I would never attempt a three point shot unless my toes were right up against the line. Like I was like, it is a bad shot to shoot the ball unless you're right up against the three point line. And Steph showed everyone that it is possible for a human being to shoot a high percentage from from 4 feet behind the three point line and as i grew older and and the athleticism what little i had not that i had much to begin with but what little i had started to go away i started to realize that a better shot for me is to shoot the ball from from 26 27 feet rather than to be taking a contested 19 footer and so in a in a, in a major way my my range has been extended Dramatically beyond the NBA three-point line. Um, I also just think that you know. I, I still remember the day when I was in in high school, and my high school coach in India was telling someone. He said, uh, "You know, Vasu, a team is five is is all five guys, and this is you, right?" And he's like, "You don't you don't pass the ball like you're just looking to score all the time." And that always stuck with me because I've always considered myself as as being a team player. But I said maybe there's something there's something right to what he's saying and and over the last you know several years I will at this point say that I think I am the best the best passer in my gym I will always find the open man Um, I'm not a true point guard in that you you I I don't feel comfortable bringing the ball up the court against full court pressure but once we're in the half court I don't know that there's anyone at my gym that will find players on backdoor cuts. Uh, or or off of pick and rolls in the pocket better than I will. And and I think a big part of that has been watching film and understanding the angles and understanding that at this point in my career, I'm A, trying not to get injured. B, I'm trying to just win as many games as quickly as I can at the gym. And that means making your teammates better, not not necessarily getting buckets all the time.
1: I must admit, when we did our research and when I spoke earlier and talked about you being a professional pickup basketball player, I was a little skeptical about making that statement, but after hearing your approach to a pickup game, I am convinced that you might be one of the first ever professional pickup basketball players. There's no contest. Yeah. Yeah. No, everyone must bow. (laughs) It really is impressive. And I think, you know, to hear you speak about the evolution of, of your game, you know, it's something I can speak to as well. We're like watching Steph Curry, You know, he really changed this game. I know it's a little off topic. And, um, you know, for me, I grew up playing center. I grew up right in that era where you were not shooting threes unless you were a three-point shooter. And if you took a three-pointer and you weren't a three-point shooter, you were benched. There was no one shooting from half court. There was none of that going on. And, you know, now today I feel like you, where I've evolved my game to be more of like a stretch four. So instead of just sitting in the paint and, you know, Drop step, getting hit all the time, hit in the face—you know, getting clobbered. It's the game has evolved where everyone's kind of a three-point shooter. Everyone can kind of, you know, figure out the flow of the game, um, what makes sense to them, their style of play. Where it's not as like rigid as I feel like it used to be, um, which I just think is a an interesting note about how this game is evolving and adapting. Which was kind of, and a professor can speak more to this, but the inception of the game was always about being creative and adapting. And I feel like we've seen a, a massive shift in the game in the last 10 years.
2: No doubt, it, it's funny. Um, so I, I started dating this this girl recently, knows nothing about basketball. To her credit, she did go on the NBA website and sync the entire Warrior schedule to her calendar. Uh, <laughs> so, she, so she knows exactly what nights we cannot be going out. Um, but but um, She gets so, it. She, she understands it. She, she understands. Can, she, last season she was able to name the entire Warriors roster by the end of the finals, so that was Oh my god, it's like thing. diner. <laughs> and, and and so it was funny cuz we were watching the game uh a couple nights ago Warriors game and and they said something about, you know, a center or a forward uh, or some position. And she goes, "Well, what what are they saying? What are the, what are these positions they speak of?" And I go, "Well, you know, you don't really have to worry about that anymore because the NBA isn't about those positions anymore. There are no more traditional positions, but I tried to explain to her the idea of a point guard, a shooting guard, a small forward, a power forward, and a center, but I was like, but look, like here's James Wiseman, who's supposed to be a center, but he's standing out at the three-point line, and he's perfectly capable of, of drilling a shot.
0: You know, this, this idea of positionlessness it's very much uh, a, a basketball concept, and it's a very entrepreneurial concept. You know, the idea that you must uh, have a product market fit, that you must... It's, a, it's the fast break. Things are changing. You have to be what you need to be when you need to be it to meet the changing circumstances, and, and that's one principle. Do you find yourself having basketball principles operative in your business life, in the way you go about the things that you do that where you've been so successful.
2: Oh, always. I, I've always said that basketball for me has been a teacher of life from the time I was six years old and obsessed with the game. Everything that happens on the court, I think is is in some way a reflection of, of the real world and, and vice versa. And so I oftentimes, if I'm getting into business with someone, if they're a basketball player in any way, I'll say, hey, come meet me for a pickup game. Let's play some basketball at the Equinox. And in 30 minutes, you know everything that you want to know about this person. You know how they treat each other. You you know how they treat their teammates. You know whether they're an alpha male, whether they are someone who's uh, a, a little subdued, whether they're willing to take critical feedback how they want to provide feedback. Like, you know everything about a person if you throw them on a basketball court. Now, I will argue that in sports, there, there might be a few people that are very different in the real world than they are on a basketball court. There's always an exception to the rule. But for the most part, I have always found this to be true. Um, and and it's one of the reasons why I love working with athletes in any sphere of, of real life is because I know that if you've been successful in, in, at any level as an athlete, you've actually learned how to work with other people from the time you were young. And I, it, it's hard for me many times to remember that everyone doesn't actually grow up playing sports and they actually don't know how to interact with other human beings in, in, a, in, a, in, a, uh, in, in a decent way, in a respectful way. Uh, and and to come together to, to make something happen and so every time in in real life and in the work environment when I've been met with a situation where somebody just doesn't know how to work with other people like to me it's a shock because I'm like man my whole life I have had to I've had four other people around me at all times that are part of trying to win and now all of a sudden I'm in the situation where you've got, a couple of people who just don't know what that means. And, and so, um, you know, I, I absolutely think that more than anything, how to work with other people and how to treat them respectfully and how to make sure everybody eats right. Like, and, and also to know your lane and know your roles. I almost, I always say the best team at pickup on a Saturday morning is not going to be the five most talented guys. They're almost always going to lose. Because five talented guys all want to score the basketball on Saturday morning and pick up. There's only one ball to go around. The optimal lineup for a Saturday morning is to have two scorers, one guy who's a distributor and two guys who are grinders that want to set screens, get rebounds, but they don't care if they get a single shot up. You give me that squad and we're going to win every single time. But the few times when you end up with five, you try to stack your team and you bring Five really good scores on your team, you almost always end up losing.
0: You, you know, you you even said at the top of the show, uh, it is. You can learn so many things from all great sports, and 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 and, but basketball especially makes people learn these things. Is it because of the small space? Is it because of the uh, uh, positionlessness? Is it because it's only five people and you're forced to be seeing each other? What what? makes basketball different
2: i think it's the dynamic nature of a everybody has to play offense and defense and you have to do it consistently all the time right you have to be moving back and forth and be adaptable to the situation in a way that in other sports you don't like in soccer the minute the the ball's gone past half field or midfield yeah if you're a forward you can sort of hang back and not do anything for the next Two minutes until the ball gets back to you. Right. It's the defender's problem. It's somebody else's problem all the time in basketball. There is no such thing as somebody else's problem. Right. It's always everyone's problem. Uh, and the reality is basketball. If you're if you're playing against really good players, there is no way to really defend anyone one on one. Like the offensive player always has the advantage. If they're skilled enough, they're going to they're going to score on you more often than they're not. And so help defense matters and you have to help your teammates constantly. And and a lot of these things, you know, when when I look at individual sports like tennis, I'm always amazed. I'm like, holy crap, I can't believe how, how much one of these guys has to do on their own and how much distance they have to cover. But there's also a simplicity to that game in that it's just you. You don't have to worry about your teammates ego. You don't have to worry about what they're going to do today. It's all on you. And And there is a beauty to that. But to me, I've always been a team guy. I've always been a team sport guy. And so to me, basketball, when played the right way, it's ballet. It's, it's art. Um, and there aren't too many sports that I can say that about, I feel like.
1: So with this love of basketball that you've had your whole life, when you came to the States to attend Penn, what did you do with it? How did you keep it, keep that connection What was it like, you know, coming back to the States at that time? Just take us through that whole experience.
2: Well, I was 18 years old. I've never been to Philadelphia in my life. I have no idea what Penn is. I just, I show up on campus because I got in and it's an Ivy League school. And, you know, if if you're from an Indian family, your parents have been telling you since you're three years old that you're going to go to an Ivy League school. And so here I am. But I remember the very first day of freshman orientation, like this was before school had even officially started. My only question to whoever was taking us around was, where the hell's the gym, and how do I get in there, right? And and even before the first week of classes during orientation, I remember getting out to pot truck, which is what our, our gym was called, and getting in there and getting in a pickup game and, and starting to play, and and realizing also pretty quickly that the game in the U.S. is very different to what I had grown up playing in India. Uh, the physicality, the size of people. I had never seen a guy who was over really six foot three, six foot four in my life. The six foot four guy on my high school team was probably the biggest dude in the city. And people called him the giant of of Bangalore at six foot four, right? This guy, nobody could stop him in the pain. I get here and I'm like, the guards are six foot four. Mm -hmm. There's dudes playing pickup with us who are seven feet tall. What the hell's going on? So I had to really learn how to play the American style of pickup basketball. And I had to learn it fast. And, and, and that year I still went out for tryouts for the Penn basketball team. And, um, and I got cut on, on first day, like the coach basically was like, look, man, he's like, clearly, you know how to play basketball, but you're 135 pounds soaking wet. You're five foot 10 on a good day. You can't play division one basketball. There's no chance for you. And I, I said to him, Hey, like, can I just come to practice? I just want to get better. Can I. I don't even need, like, I just want to come watch practice. I'll do stuff on the side. And he said, no, we can't have people, you know, just attending our practice like that. Either you're on the team or you're not. And so I, I was, you know, for the first time in my life, um, I hadn't made a basketball team. Like, I was always the captain of every team I'd ever played on, on up, up until that point. But it was also a, a great, it, it was sort of a microcosm in many ways of the whole Ivy League experience. Every kid who gets into an Ivy League school is a goddamn genius in their high school. They're always the valedictorian. They're a straight A student, obviously, probably close 1,600 SATs. You come to Penn, everybody's that kid. You're no longer special. Um, I went from being the smartest kid in my school to probably being one of the top 10 dumbest kids at Penn. Like I was nowhere close to, to... Feeling like I belonged. Uh, it's imposter syndrome. My my buddy and I were just talking about this the other night because I was I was uh, last Wednesday we were in a men's league game and we only had four players. I couldn't even get a fifth guy to show up, so we played four against five. And when it's four against five, my guy said to me, "Listen, Voss, just shoot the ball, bro. Like just shoot the ball every single time." well, you give me the green light. I scored 32 points and we won our men's league game four on five. Right. And I came home and I was saying to my buddy who wasn't there, I said, you know, it's funny when you put me on a team with with five good guys, like we have a great team. If I miss my first two shots, all of a sudden I'm in my own head and I'm going, I shouldn't take the next shot. Like there's better options on the team. Let me just be a facilitator and and he said, yeah, you know, it's imposter syndrome. Like we all feel like we don't belong. And so for me at Penn, it was imposter syndrome in the in the classroom saying, I don't I don't deserve to belong here. And then it was straight up like I don't deserve to belong here on the basketball court either. And, and, and so I had to make a choice my freshman year, which was am I going to like bust my ass, try to be, a, you know, get back academically and be a great student? Or am I going to bust my ass playing basketball and somehow try to get on a on a division one basketball team? And I, you know, again, the love for the game, I was like, the hell with academics, like we're, we're going for basketball. And I spent the next three years doing just that.
1: So when you got that initial rejection from the coach, what went through your head? Because clearly you made a decision not to give up and you recognized, OK, maybe I'm not where I need to be, but that gave you some sort of battery that pushed you forward and said, I'm going to get better. What were those first things you did? Do you remember like, what went through your head and then how you actually took steps towards getting closer to making that basketball team?
2: I just said, listen, the only way to get better is I got to be in the gym every single day as many hours as I can. And so I just made a concerted decision at that point that the academics were going to take a backseat. I was going to do just enough to not flunk out a pen. I can't do that. My parents will murder me. If, if, if I fail out. But as long as I'm getting straight C's, I'm okay with it. I just got to graduate in four years. And so I would wake up, I'd get to the gym around noon, I'd put up some shots, eat some lunch, wait for everybody to get out of class around 4.30pm. We would then play pickup from 430 to to 7, 730 We'd go get dinner, I'd get back to my room, I'd scribble my homework out, usually copying it from my roommate, I'm sure. And then and then we'd get back out to the gym at 10 p.m. And we would have a 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. run. And I basically was doing that five days a week for the next three years until my senior year. Somebody was like, hey, man, like, you know, this is your last ch- this is your last chance. You've gotten much better than than you were three years ago. Like you should go out and go to tryouts again. I said, OK, cool. Like this is this is my last chance. Let me do it. So I I went out for tryouts and it was one of those days, you know, where everything just goes right for you. I I got into the scrimmage at open tryouts, touched the ball first time, let it fly from like 20 feet, splash, come back down, had like a great defensive play, got a a steal on the other end, came back down, scored again. And and I just remember, you know, there's those times when we've all had those out of body moments on on a basketball court. They're few and far between. It doesn't happen every day, but it happens. And you know whether whether I thank one of the ten thousand Indian gods or or uh, or somebody else, I don't know. But for whatever reason, that day I looked like I belonged on that basketball court, and so I made I made the first cut. I kept coming back for more and more, and I, I still remember getting you know that first email saying, "Hey, you've been invited back." That's the way it worked. If, if you were invited back to the next day, you got an email. So I remember exactly where I was when I got that email. I go back the next couple days um, and and then a crazy thing happened, which was, you know, this is JV. So like they're not really taking this thing that seriously. And the coach didn't do his homework and didn't realize that I was a senior because I'm a baby faced, five foot ten <laughs> Indian kid. He thought I'm a freshman. Right. So he's looking at me going, this kid's really good for a freshman. I can mold this guy into a player in four years. I should put him on the team. And so probably like a week or two into practice, season hasn't started yet. Somehow he realizes through paperwork, I guess, NCAA clearinghouse stuff, that I'm a senior. And so he, he you know, the, I, I get to practice and he goes, hey, man, I'm really sorry, but I didn't realize that you're a senior. I thought you were a freshman. I thought you were going to play four years here. I can't put a senior on the squad. It's a waste of a, of a roster spot for me. And, and I just remember going, I can't believe after all this this is how it's going to end for me is they're not going to let me play. Um, So I wrote him like a really long letter, just explaining everything and sort of the path that I had gone through to get here. Um, And certainly some of it was luck in that we had a guy or two who, uh, who either I, I forget whether they got injured or they were having some NCAA clearinghouse issues, but in the end, He was kind of like, look, if 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 there is a spot left at the end of this whole thing. You can have the spot as as a senior on the team. And again, as luck would have it, there was a spot left for me on the last day and they threw me on the roster. First game, I don't play. Second game, they put me into the game. And literally first possession, I come down the court. Someone throws the ball to me at the top of the key. I still remember in my mind, faking a pass left, defender kind of took one step, and I just let it fly. And in the greatest college gym in history, in the Palestra, <laughs> I splashed my very first three-point shot. And that's that's how my season started. Uh, you, you can't write this stuff. No.
1: You,
0: you, be, you belonged. You, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm struck. I'm just making a quick observation. Uh, this idea of belonging through basketball, for different reasons each time when you move back to India, Uh, the story you told about Dubrovnik, uh, and arriving at Penn, each time, again, for different reasons, but you either proved, created, or found belonging through this game. What is it? Is it belonging? is that part of what motivates you totally in all that you do to prove, create, find belonging?
2: It may very well be right. I don't, I don't know that any of us, at least I'm not conscious enough to think about these things on a daily basis as I go about life. Like basketball has just been, it's been this thing. It's been this, this constant for me. And and so I don't know that on a daily basis, I'm like, hmm, like, this is why I do what I do. It's because basketball helped me belong. But subconsciously, I'm guessing that that's what actually happens in 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 many a way. Um, and, and you know, even in in the business world, you come out of Penn, every single one of my classmates for four years was doing internships at every bank. They'd worked at Goldman at J.P. Morgan Morgan saying like. I didn't do any of this shit like I used to go back home every summer and play in the state basketball leagues out there. I was trying to play for a club team in India. And so I would spend my summers hooping and I'd come back and we'd get back to to trying to play for Penn. And so when when we got to graduation, all my classmates had all these big job offers lined up. And I'm going. Shit, I didn't do any of these things to prepare for real life like I need to find something to do and the only thing that came to my mind was, well, I should, I should probably start a basketball analytics <laughs> company because that's, you know, that's what I know. That's what I love. Let me just do that. Um, so, you know, again, in, in some ways, like basketball helped me fit into the business world where once again, I didn't belong because I didn't do all those things that everybody else had done.
0: Yeah. And I'm, I'm struck just, you know, by how much you're committed to making space for basketball in your life, <laughs> you know? And, and I guess what I'd love to know is when you don't get that space for some reason, when you can't get on the court, when you can't have that ritual for yourself, what does it feel like when that's missing?
2: Oh, it's bad. I mean, I've, I've gone through some injuries <laughs> in my life. Um, <clears throat> the last one Major one was 2019 when I uh I had to go through meniscus surgery and I couldn't hoop for six months. Uh it's like your whole routine is just gone from from daily life. Like the thing that I'm used to having is gone. So mentally, you're you're and I and I don't drink, I've never smoked a cigarette, I've never done a drug. I'm I'm that dude. Like basketball is my drug. Like everybody asked me, like, yo, how do you blow off steam? I'm like, I don't know what that means because like I just hoop three days a week. I don't have any steam to blow off, man. Like yeah. I'm I'm a happy guy with no issues. But when you take away basketball, all of a sudden you do need to find an outlet. And I don't have that outlet because I don't do any of these other things that that normal human beings apparently do. Um, and, and so I don't sleep well. My body doesn't feel right. I'm I'm waking up in the middle of the night. I'm putting on weight. Like everything is just a disaster if I can't. And, and so, my biggest fear in life has always been that one day, it's gonna go away.
0: And 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 that's just the physical stuff. But are you worse to be around? Is your girlfriend like stay over
2: there, or <laughs> are, are,
0: do you kick the dog? Like what? Like are you a how much of a better human being are you when you get to do the thing?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm thank. Thankfully, I've I've never been that guy who's had a violent uh, <laughs> bone in my body. So no, I'm, I'm not, not kicking I'm the not dog. Kicking, I'm not kicking the dog, or you know, throwing things around. No, I'm not. I've never been that person. I never, hopefully, will be that person. But I'm I'm definitely crankier. There's no doubt about it. Um, I, I I can't imagine that I am as enjoyable of a person. Not that anyone thinks I'm the most enjoyable person to be around, but like I I don't think. Uh, my my mind, body, spirit is, is, is where it needs to be if there's no hoops, for sure. I think
1: what is important to note is that beyond just playing, which is extremely important to you and your mental health and your physical health, as you just outlined, um, you created a business, right, crossover to, in a sense, stay close to the game, right? So you're never too far from it. Even if you're not physically able to play due to an injury, uh, you're still surrounding yourself and immersing yourself in this world for people listening that might be younger and in school, uh, and, you know, trying to figure out their place in the world and and how to keep basketball at the forefront of it. Can you kind of walk through what it was like to set up that first business? Um, how, how you took just an idea of staying close to the game and made it a reality and then continued on.
2: Yeah. Well, first of all, I'll say, you know, um, it's it's just not the same even though you can stay close to the game even though there's games on TV for 6 months 9 months a year and it's getting better now you got basketball almost year round yes it helps to be able to to watch there's just nothing like getting out on the hardwood you know and and so it, it, there will come a day when this is going to end and i'm bracing myself for it because i don't know what i will do with myself when when I can't get out there. I'm, I'm hoping it'll never be to the point where I can not at least just go out and get shots up. And, you know, I've got a, a really good friend of mine who's 75 years old now, and he's still getting up and down the court. He's still playing in senior nationals. He's still playing fantasy camp. And so, you know, I've got my fingers crossed that even if I'm 70 plus years old, I'll be able to do those things. But, but who knows? I, I know plenty of guys who had to hang them up in their 30s and 40s because they said, man, the Achilles is gone and, and that's the end of it. I'm not going to try to come back from this. So, um, you know, that's just an aside. But in terms of crossover, you know, j- just like basketball, where it was, hey, one way or another, I'm going to make this happen. Like that was legitimately what crossover was like for me, because I came out of school 2008. I don't have a dollar to my name. I, I moved to New York. And I've got this insane idea to create a a basketball analytics software program at a time when people are like, what is basketball analytics? Like, what do people need that for? That doesn't make any sense. It's not like it is today where every broadcast you're watching, you've got 10,000 stats being thrown at you and everyone understands Moneyball and this, like none of this existed back in 2008. Um, You know, Billy Bean had done a little bit for baseball, but outside of baseball, no one really believed in the value of, of advanced metrics and stats. And here I'm saying, hey, every high school team, every AAU team, every college team in the country should have all these advanced metrics. Um, it was also a time at which technology had not yet caught up with what we needed. So, you know, our whole product was try to get high school coaches when the game's over on a Tuesday night to upload a three gigabyte file over the internet to our servers, and then we would have people in India literally watching this footage and tagging everything that was happening. And then by the time the coach woke up in the morning, there were all these amazing metrics and reports that we could give him because of all the breakdown that the, that the taggers had done. And um, uploading a three gigabyte file in 2008, let me tell you, holy shit, it was mind numbing to try to make that happen. We had to build our own uploading technology. We, servers would melt. like It was a disaster for many, many years just trying to get the basic technology to catch up with what we were trying to build. Um, and so it was, it was very difficult, but we, we clawed our way through. And, and again, I consider myself one of the luckiest people in the world. And our very first customer, the first guy who actually wrote me a check For $1,100, actually, it was, it was nine, I think it was $900. I gave him a discount. So our our product was originally priced at like $1,100, but he was our first customer. And I said, $900. This guy, this guy's name was Sean McGinnis. And he was a coach at a high school in Massachusetts called Rentham High School, uh, King Philip High School in Rentham, Massachusetts. He had been on a 63 game losing streak. The man had not won a game in two and a half seasons in men's high school, in boys' high school basketball. He meets me at this coaching clinic where I'm set up with a table and my laptop trying to show high school coaches how to use advanced analytics. And this guy just kept coming back to me, kept coming, walking over to my my booth throughout the course of the weekend. And by the end of the weekend, he had said, you know, I really want to work with you this off season and, and try to get better using data. I said, great. Can you send me all of your footage from last season? Great, I'll do it. So he got me all of his footage. I think he literally mailed us DVDs of his last season's footage. We then encoded all that video, put it onto our servers, had it all. I literally broke those games down myself because we didn't even have people. I broke those games down myself and gave him all this data. And like I said, you can't write this shit. That next season, he went to the state championship game and lost, but he went to a state championship. (laughs)
1: <laughs> that's incredible.
2: And like I you know the the proof's kind of in the pudding that yeah but certainly I don't want to take all the credit for for them making it that far but to go from a 63 game losing streak to going to one game of a national of, of a state championship that's pretty freaking cool and 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 then from there you know we were able to use that story Kentucky became our first customer in the college side in 20 in 20 10 or 2012 when they won when they won with uh with Anthony Davis, that was the first thing we were able to go out and say, listen, Kentucky basketball used our product, won a national yeah. championship. Now, did they actually use it? Probably not. They had Anthony Davis, they didn't need it. But <laughs> they had uh, it. You know, these are, the little, yeah. th- these are the little things that you need mm-hmm. to 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 get lucky. And like I said, a lot of things went our way um along those along the course of those years.
0: Um, could I ask a question about analytics? Yep. Uh, we, you know, we've talked uh, in this conversation uh, a lot about these um, aspects of basketball that are, you know, almost spiritual, sanctuary, belonging. Um, are there things that you really wish analytics could measure that they can't yet, and how valuable are these kinds of things to performance and? I guess, well, I'll stop there.
2: Um, the, the, the example I love to give is, let's just say that there's people around the Golden State Warriors that have an interest in the team that don't like the fact that Klay Thompson has gotten paid, how much he's gotten paid you know over the years, and the fact that he's probably going to get paid again and they'll look at the data and they keep bringing up the data and they'll say tell me who clay thompson's closest comp is from an advanced metrics perspective and the answer is Kyle Korver right he's he's basically Kyle Korver if you were to just look at his career statistics but i say if you the eye test if you were to watch clay thompson play basketball there's nobody who knows the game of basketball who's going to say that's that's Kyle Korver out there right like he's he's not that person defensively he's not that person now they'll say well show me the defensive stats well i'll say well are you measuring stops because if you're not measuring stops and all you're measuring is steals and blocks then sure you're yes you, i don't think klay thompson gets that many steals or blocks but at his peak you you put him on on the other team's best def- uh, best offensive player and he's going to make life extremely difficult for that person. On top of that, there's the mental aspect of the game. I can guarantee you that Steph Curry feels better playing basketball when he knows Klay Thompson's on his team. Doesn't matter how Clay is per- performing that night. If he's on the court with him, if Draymond's on the court with him, Steph Curry's playing a different game mentally than he is uh, if they're not there. And, and I am not Steph Curry. But I will say the same thing to you that if I go to my gym and my best friend Ori, who I've played ball with for ten years, is on that court with me, I am going to play way better than if he is not on that court with me. And so there is, there are things that are intangibles that affect athletes psychologically that we just cannot measure today. And I don't know if we will ever be able to measure those things. um, But I I find them to be far more important than the basic box score stuff that you can measure.
0: You are a supporter of Peace Players International. Um, They use basketball to build those intangibles, to go to high conflict areas, uh, and use basketball as a vehicle to teach people who have been taught not to get along to try to figure out if they can. And they've produced uh, an eight year uh, randomized control study that said these intangible things, pro-social behavior, uh, standing up for others, uh, seeing others as a human being, actually they're doing it. How, what do you think about using basketball as a way to make people better people?
2: Oh, I mean, there, there's there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that um, sports in general, and and obviously the game of basketball, because of the co- the close quarters you're in, and the fact that you know every every other guy on your team, uh, it, it has to has to be a part of the group, otherwise you're going to lose the game. If one, you are only as good as your you know your 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 weakest player, right? And and sometimes you can perhaps hide that person if you've got Draymond Green on your team, but. In any other situation you're you're not hiding that person and um, and so to me, I've always said sports sports should have a way of solving the world's problems. It certainly solves our first world problems here in, in so many ways and 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 they've done some amazing things with, you know, with the israel-palestine conflict. I know peace players have been very active there. Um, certainly, you know when growing up in India, the the number one thing, that got everyone excited, India, Pakistan, cricket, right? Like that is the thing that would bring everyone together. Does it doesn't matter who you are, what ethnicity, nothing like India, Pakistan, cricket, the country shuts down, the stores are closed, no one's at work. What else in the world has the ability to do that other than sports? I mean, there's nothing I I cannot point to anything else that, that can bring people together. And and so I'm I'm excited about what Peace Player is doing. I'm part of another charity in India called uh, Cross the Crossover Basketball Scholars Academy uh, that sends uh, American coaches and players to India every year to to teach kids life skills through basketball. But but more than anything else, it literally like in India, you know, women are certainly there's other parts of the world where women are treated far more poorly than India. So I I should not throw India under the bus to that extent. However, um, in the poorest parts of India, for sure, there's no opportunity for women to play sports. Uh, It's just not a thing that they would ever do. And we've seen girls who come to the crossover academy for two weeks, who learn how to dribble a basketball, what it does to their self-confidence, what it does to their academics, What it does just in general for them to say, hey, like, I don't have to be a maid when I grow up, like I can be so much more and basketball could be one of those ways out. It might not be eventually the way they get out of poverty, but just knowing that there is a path is so important.
1: Yeah, I think that's extremely, extremely important to acknowledge about this sport and just sports in general. Uh, Vasu I want to be mindful of your time I know we've had you here for a while um, I, I want Dave to go ahead and ask his, his final question
0: <laughs> uh, Vasu this is a question uh, we end on for all our guests uh, and uh, I'm really excited to ask it to you it, it's, it's a fill in the blank here it is if the world was more like basketball then blank hmm and
1: we'd be happier every day. (laughs) Love it. (laughs) Happy as Vasu Kolkarni. Well, Vasu, we really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for jumping on with us today.
2: Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys.